A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the NXT 2.0 review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT 2.0. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT 2.0, but also on Monday Night Raw, right now, McDill, and my AW Rampage. Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a very good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Citrix to review anything to but oh, and yet another eventful show, Hamlet. I know what I hate, and I didn't hate this one. Um, I feel like I say that a lot about the NXT 2.0s that are not necessarily good, but have something surprisingly fun or surprisingly interesting. There was a couple of things like that on this show. Yeah. It's, I was watching this when I wasn't enjoying it, I was looking forward to talking about it with you two, which is, again, something you can't always say about 2.0. Not, ter- not a terrible time, I don't think this one. Yet again, Bobby Roode proves himself to be quite possibly the most underrated aspect of NXT ever. <laughs> His world title run was really, really good. Yeah. And this tag match, I thought, was better than last week's... Helps that he looks like Andre the Giant down there. <laughs> I thought this tag match was legit better than last week's much-heralded main event. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair. I think, I think the, uh, the the tag match here, I thought the the main event... I, was, I really enjoyed large parts of this show. Mm. Some I really didn't as well, but we'll get into that. Um, you know how, like, on a bad Dynamite, where it's like, oh, that was a bad episode, and yet I absolutely loved, like, all-time best segment of yes. the year stuff. Like... That's doing this in reverse. Like, this can be a good NXT and it can have one of the worst matches you've ever yes. seen in your life that, on an almost weekly basis at this point. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it, where, it, you know, they don't want to will people to have bad matches, but it's a lot more preferable when we're reviewing Raw, for example, if it's the worst rather than just like, oh, it was just there for 10 minutes. And I felt like maybe most so- of the matches went one of two ways here. Maybe someone's first 30 matches on Cage Match shouldn't be in front of a live USA Network audience. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah, just a thought. Uh, so the show opened. I'm going to throw straight to you, Hamlet, before we even get to the match. show opened uh, with the, the tag match, as you mentioned. Bron Breaker and Tommaso Ciampa coming out as a tag team. Tommaso Ciampa wearing Steiner gear, basically. He was wearing Steiner gear, right? And that could just be like a nice wrestling attire thing if you wanted it to be. But as usual, thanks for listening to the podcast. Like They've heard our little riff on old man Ciampa, and they've made him... Ron Breaker's old man, comma, champer. <laughs> because he's just Rick Steiner. They're never going to use the Steiner brothers. They'll just make their own ones in the form of an actual Steiner and Tommaso Champer. He can be both the sort of, he can be brown beard on Mondays and like Ron Breaker's dad yeah. on Tuesdays. Um, it's not a great look for Tommaso Champer individually, but this was quite a good look for them too as a makeshift Steiner brothers for the night. And I think it actually helped this match. They even barked together. 
It was quite nice. I like, to an extent, what they're developing between Champa mm. and Breaker. It's really well thought out. It's considered. I still don't necessarily think him staring at the title is particularly, like, as subtle, nuanced storytelling as he thinks it kind of is. But I like the thought, the execution, he looked very skinny. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe that. I mean, it was, you know, you put him next to Bron Breaker anyway, and it's going to be a bit of a difference, but I don't know what it was. Uh, it's Bobby Roode. <laughs> it's Bobby Roode didn't help. It's massive. But you should always wear gear if it suits your body type, irrespective of... Yeah. The People night. didn't like Champa's legs being covered, did they? That was a thing when he first started wearing the long tights. He looks, in trunks, like a lean, shredded fighting machine who spends more time in the gym than anyone else. Gristle. Got like, a lot of gristle about him. just that ridiculous like muscle-to-fat ratio that he has. For whatever reason, putting him in a singlet just makes him look like like an athletic granddad. And you think, you just look weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you see, you know, when you see them around and they're jogging. Is that Ryder's jacked dad? <laughs> just like this just skinny, muscly old guys. Oh, like, we've got a mega tan because they just get to run in the sun all day. That's the yeah. whole life. Yeah. It's just like, why? It's, it's retired. You look there odd. Was, there was a warmth that NXT so rarely conjures up. I thought, anyway, over the sitting down on the apron and doing the bark the rather back, than the clap. I, yeah. Like, often they lean on that, like, whatever law they're leaning on for whatever champer thing they're doing is a bit, like, cringe. And I got the opposite here. Yeah. I thought it was quite nice. It, it's like, the, yeah, the development of the relationship and then the bizarre match announced for Roadblock <laughs> has made me think a little bit more about this champer breaker thing than I imagined I would do after Breaker had beaten him. I thought that was maybe yeah. the end of it. Um, so Breaker and Champa actually jumped the dirty dogs as they were making their entrance. Uh, and they were in control until the uh, heels managed to get a distraction in there to seize control. Rude distract Breaker and Ziggler managed to hit him with a zigzag very early on. Uh, very early on, But Breaker manages to kick out a two. Um, but obviously the effects of that allows the dirty dogs to take control. Uh, they go to a break and they cut the ring in half. Um, and they just prevent Bron Breaker from getting anywhere near making a tag. Uh, he eventually does get there to Champa, uh, who comes in. Down come the singlet straps. He's a, he's a house of fire. Double clothesline, goes for the fairy tale ending, but Rude drives him into the corner, uh, and he's spine buster, which just looked epic, like you say, because of the situation that they were in. Uh, gets him a two count. Um, the heels in control again. But uh, Ziggler gets catapulted out of the ring by Champa as he begins his fight back. He crawls to make a tag, but just before he gets to the corner, uh, Bobby Roode pulls Bron Breaker off the apron. Then hoys him over the barricade into the fans as well, just to make sure. So they can um, double-team Tommaso Champa. They hit with that powerbomb neckbreaker combo for uh, a near fall as well. Rude starts showboating, playing to the crowd, but then Champa hits him with a jumping knee strike out of nowhere. In comes Ziggler, but he can't stop Champa from tagging in Bron Breaker, who just explodes into the ring. Overhead suplexes. This is peak Dolph Ziggler. This just flying all over the place. Um, and then Breaker... I know I say I watch this sometimes on double speed. This lo- felt like it was on quadruple speed or something. The speed that Breaker can just suddenly get out of nowhere to spear Dolcigra out of his boots is astonishing. Um, and they get Ziggler up on an electric chair. Nice. Bron for Bron Breaker. And Champa comes off the top rope with the Steiner Bulldog. Um, and it looks like, there you go, there's the match finish. But Rude does a fantastic sort of last second dive to break up the near fall. Ziggler almost gets Champa with a roll up, but uh, Champa hits Ziggler with the fairy tale ending and gets the one, two, three for his team. I thought it was a class. 
Like, really, 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 really good. Maybe even great this match. Possibly just really, 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 really good. They did three things here that I thought were just genuinely great components of an excellent tag team match. When Bobby Roode went to check on Dolph Ziggler for, like, a suspiciously long amount of time on the outside before revealing it was a ruse to do the cutoff spot and remove him from the apron. I haven't seen that done, I don't think, or at least I've not seen it done in quite some time. It was just... It was such a good additional wrinkle mm. to a well-worn spot that legitimately, because you could see him and hid in plain sight his intentions, it was so well done that made me indirectly almost resent my favorite promotion, AEW, for being lax with the, the application, the discipline of rules in tag team wrestling. If you're going to work within those rules so well, it just gets everything that bit more over. I thought it was a tremendous spot. The near fall... From the uh, was it from the the bulldog? Yeah, where, like it was like two point nine 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 nine. I just bit. 100%, yeah, I can't remember the last time I built on a f- bit on a false finish in a WWE product, or even any kind of pro wrestling um, for quite some time. So that was expertly done. Everything was timed. It was creative. It was really elegantly constructed. And that spear was like just nestled below Rhino Goldberg tier yeah. for me. It was unfriggin' believable. Yeah, that superbly worked. Really thoughtfully, like really thoughtfully worked. I think in terms of they built two, they gambled on building two hot tags here, and they were both hot. Mm. You know, that's like an achievement in and of itself in NXT 2.0. I would say. Um, yeah, like I got a lot of, um, and I'm being specific how I label them this way. Um, Dash and Dawson vibes off the Dirty Dogs, as in like pre-revival when you're watching them rebuild the tenets of tag wrestling in NXT back in like 2014, 2015. Um, I like really, really good. The the spear. We've said this before with that um, Braun Breaker spear. He is building a dream match with Goldberg because that's that's hot shit. You know, like you want to see that in every match now, and you want to see him hit a guy that you, you want to see him hit the master practitioner with it because Goldberg should be going down off that spear, and they've kind of created a clash of generations dream match here. Like I think I said this flippantly a couple of weeks ago. Braun Breaker versus Goldberg might flog them the tickets they wanted for that Dallas show. They're not going to go that route, but no, you know, hypothetically, if like yeah. you want to get like five thousand bored wrestling fans in at eleven o'clock in a building somewhere, that's weird. People want to look at that and who's going to hit the spear first. Um, the false finish was effective on two counts because it was really great within the moment and a cool like you know off that style of Bulldog specifically. But it then I think aided the proper finish because like oh they've got out of that the dirty dogs are going to win this because your wrestling brain goes, none of this is over. You're presuming there's going to be some Ziggler. In. I mean, we're going to get it anyway. But I then didn't think that Breaker and Champa were going to get it done. And they did. So it kind of like, it served the actual finish as well. Yeah. I, I love this. Yeah, awesome. Really great opener. And uh, the fun just kept on coming because they immediately cut backstage to LA Knight. Yeah! Yeah! Um, who does a brilliant sort of pre-promo, if that makes any sense. He's going to come out and cut a promo on... Grayson Bloody Waller, but he's uh, there say, telling people to uh, pick up their phone and call and text everyone, including the side piece, because he's about to call out the outback jack off himself, Grayson Waller. He's in his element here, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in amongst this, we got a, a Gunther promo talking about Solo Sokoa, um, you know, trying to make a name off him. He's not the first, and he's going to chop those tribal tattoos off his body. I mean, he is literally the first to make a name off Gunther. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Nobody's <laughs> ever tried to do that before. He's going to replace those tribal tattoos with some much-needed respect. But then out comes LA Knight, and the crowd are very much, Sige, into the old, yeah, call and response. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and he talks about, he gives us a history lesson, basically. Uh, it's the trope that you really don't like within WWE. Nope, I watched all of this. Um, he talks about how long... <laughs> it was he, called The Rock in 1999. <laughs> and it was called The Last Three Months of My Goddamn Life. <laughs> he talks about his history with Grayson Waller, um, feuding since before Halloween Havoc. They were going to feud and, and see who was going to be the host. And then they went through war games and... Uh, there's a few the, fans the host battle on Halloween Havoc for Christ's sake yeah I, 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 to be honest I had a, actually <sighs> forgotten them. this is how it started yeah we so. probably shouldn't remind people of that by, <laughs> by yeah. the same token um, and he, he shoots on some fans that are cheering for Grayson Waller uh, and then there was the bit where Grayson Waller stole his car uh, and then he came back and beat the crap out of Grayson Waller and that led to the restraining order and sang of the bodyguard um, and then yeah, all right. Last week, Waller got the, the win with the, the cheap grab of the tights, but this isn't going to stop LA Knight. And here comes Waller. He's on the uh, the big platform that overlooks everything. Um, and he says, yeah, that's right. That's right, uh, LA Knight. I did win last week. Um, you're the roadblock on my path to greatness, but now you're uh, done. You're out of the way. Uh, Knight says, sorry, I can't hear a word that you're saying because everyone's calling you an asshole. Who um, said that back in the day, Michael Humphrey? I think it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, like the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a hell. Yeah. <laughs> Waller says, uh, oh, God, it's me, Grayson Waller. <laughs> he says, this isn't a thing. I'm out of here, Grayson Waller does. Uh, and LA Knight says, oh, well, let's not forget this. And he puts an image up, thankfully. Very well organized PowerPoint presentation he's got together um, of him standing over Waller after last week's match and said, look, every time we faced off, you may have won a few, but I, who's been the one standing tall? Uh, and he says, oh, yeah, you're proper, all about the... like greatly stuff. I'm greatly beaten. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're the one who, uh, who bloody loves all the, the likes and the shares and the social medias and the TikToks and the stuff like that, basically. Um but uh, last week, you've been about the blocks because you got your ass whooped again. And he says, if you've got an ounce of manhood, why don't you face me in a last man standing match? And uh, Waller says, fine, next week I'm getting all the, the, all the likes because I will be the last man standing. It's the paradox of a, that is LA Knight. I don't care. I like what he's saying and the way he says it. I don't like anything he's talking about. <laughs> it's so boring. I hate it's last man standing matches. I hate last man standing matches. This feud's been absolutely rubbish. He's got the ability to like charm a room. That's what he's got. Yes. He hasn't got necessarily the ability to sell a match, but he's got the ability to charm a room. It's, it's a fun way you're talking. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> um, he's basically, he's, literally, he's legitimately Stone Cold Steve Austin mm -hmm. in this segment. Not in the way he kind of wants to be, but <laughs> in terms of the actual um, copying homework sort of thing. Fan of the guy. Not a fan of this feud dragging on. Not a fan of the stipulation it's leading to. Not a fan of. Well, it's a real. That's a real quiz. Yeah, I, yeah. I stood tall. Like stood tall is like mere twenty four hours removed from each and every one of you. This phrase that people on message boards, much less squared circle and social media, have been ripping the piss out of WWE for like sort of getting away with them mm. bollocks for so long. So to actually brag about that in a promo. Weird. I think the only time I thought that that sort of thing worked was the... Remember Triple H and Taker? And it was like, Taker won at WrestleMania, but Triple H was like, yeah, but you were, were basically dead, dead on your feet. Mm. 
Well, that worked to build a really great yeah. rebound. Yeah, That's they the were, only time it's worked for yeah. me ever. They were in a very good habit at the time of knowing how to use their legends and booking matches one year in advance. It wasn't the only example of that. And that, yeah, they had the little uh, burr, burr, uh, wheeled stretcher for the Undertaker, didn't yeah. they? They <laughs> knew what they were doing. Uh, you know, like that's that that was uh, like you know we're loath to give praise to either the Undertaker or Triple H in this podcast typically, but that was like good work from the pair of them. Um, it's a cell phone because the last man standing. Uh, is basically NXT 2.0's audience at this point, isn't yeah. it? Like they're, and they're the only people that are watching, like us, and the ones that have had to endure so much of this feud. And like, kind of as we... Sorry for talking over you in that recap, but like, I was just exasperated listening to this feud getting recapped and thinking, oh, well, at least it's not going to end with some bloody boring last man standing. Oh, that's yeah. what we're getting. It's like they've just ticked every box of the last thing you want from like WWE in general. The this way they book the these things. This is the one thing we didn't want to happen. Like it reeks of when they were like so heavily reliant on John Cena and Randy Orton in the mid two thousands. It was like, how can we get um, six pay per views out of these? <laughs> well, let me sit you down and educate you. Like, I, I just, I never wanted to live through these feuds, and we like get them enough as it is mm. on the main roster to not particularly want to see. Like, I was pretty critical of Tony D'Angelo and Pete Dunne like, wearing out its welcome. But, like, one of them had a crowbar on a pole, and they never went as long as these two did. I, I just, I don't know. I think it's stretching my pay. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like the main event that the wrestlers in it are pretending that it is. Mm. Well, we've got that to look to next week. <laughs> uh, Indy Hartwell and Virgil Pratt are in the locker room getting ready ahead of their Dusty Cup quarterfinal match. Uh, Pratt is on her phone texting someone. It's probably Duke Bloody Hudson. Um, and Hartwell says, are you... You focused. You focused on this match. And uh, Parata says, of course she's focused. What else might she be focused on, Sidge? Send me a dick pic. <laughs> uh, she doubles back to check her phone before they head out for their match. <laughs> uh, and they are facing the unorthodox team of Dakota Kai and Wendy Chu. Um, they've got the Toxic Attraction uh, lot watching from their little, what was it called? The Toxic Lounge. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so lame, isn't it? Early on, like Vic Joseph's like, uh, that's the closest you're going to get, Wade. And like Wade's obviously trying to stop himself, going, I'm okay with that, Vic. Early on, Chu tries to sort of drop toe hold, but then that's a game of peekaboo or something. Um, I did like the bit where Persia grabbed Wendy by her pigtails and just spun around until she could <laughs> twat Persia, basically. Um, in comes Indy Hartwell. Um, but uh, Chu managed to get her with Dakota Kai uh, in a double face plant. Um, but Hartwell uh, comes in and, and elbows her down after a, a two count. Uh, when Indy comes back in, they do that old backbreaker clothesline combo with uh, her and Persia Parotta. That gets a near fall. And uh, Indy gets Kai into, into their corner, tags in Persia, who hits a snake eyes and sort of F5. But Wendy Chu dives in to make the save. And then Persia Pro gets isolated. Chu hits a sort of Vader bomb off the top rope in slippers on Persia Parata. Uh, and Kai hits that double foot stomp of hers to give him the one, two, three. And the uh, the thrown together team beats the established tag team because the other two just aren't really got their heads in the game, have they, Hamlet? I've got the heads in a couple of heads, you know what I mean? I'm talking about cocks. Cocks, heads Pe on top of cocks. Yeah, penises, bell ends. Um, I hated the optics of this match, but I actually <laughs> quite like the match itself. So we kind of talked on the preview yesterday, and it was played out here that the, like, the confusion and the obsession with separate penises was going to get in the way of, you know, Indy Hartwell and Persia Prata's progress in this tournament. What I did like was the way the match played out, where um, both Wendy... Floppy seconds, <laughs> That's a fact, <laughs> where, where both Wendy Chew and Dakota Kai um, were permitted to be in character 
babyface versions of themselves. So Wendy Chu was having to have her best wrestling match to date to effectively like justify Dakota's crazy call to team with her in the first place. Yeah. The whole thing about them coming together was like, I know you think I'm this sleeping buffoon because look at the show we work on, <laughs> but I can go. And and she went. And so that that's like sort of, I'll buy that, right? I'll just buy that story as kind of weak as it is in the first place. I felt a little bit for Dakota Kai trying to juggle that she's still a bit crazy, but with a natural babyface fire returning, I was actually drawn in because Dakota mm. Kai's an awesome babyface, yes. and it's nice to see that back. So I don't know if if all of that just scans as too generous because maybe the optics more important. Maybe we're still watching the sex craze 2.0, and it should be more about the fact that like there was a like the Ghostbusters two pink slime of misogyny that flowed underneath this match, <laughs> like. You know, I completely understand if it overpowered it, but I quite like the babyface team. And I, as we're going to talk about later on, I don't hate this tournament. No. <laughs> so, I don't know. I hate this tournament. <laughs> I thought this match was quite shoddy. In fact, I'm kind of with you in a way. The only thing that vaguely made an impression on this husk of a body that I have at this point was this crowd was just utterly bemused by the Dakota Kai act for much of this match. No idea how to respond to her. And considering how performative this lot are, that's really an indictment. Then she fired up and everyone's like, oh, yeah, cool. That's really good because that's what the Dakota Kai should be goddamn doing. Mm. When before she did the fire up, it was just like, what am I watching? Like these undiscerning fans, like what on earth is this? And then they were got a brief, brief, brief reminder of what professional wrestling actually is <laughs> when it's done well and by competent people. Uh, got a video package, Perception versus Reality, setting up the uh, tag title match next week between Imperium and the Creed Brothers, which was actually quite a nice little uh, vignette, I thought. And then we got, I'm excited to know your thoughts on this, Michael Sidgwick, Lash Legend versus Amari <laughs> Miller. Uh, they obviously split uh, as a team following their elimination from the Dusty Cup last week, and they recapped that just in case you forgot what happened seven days ago. Um, Why? Legend uh, dominates early on, kicks her in the face, basically, to start the match. Uh, bends Miller's back over her knee, but Miller slips out and crawls over to the ropes and uh, gets us in some running kicks of her own. Um, there's a low super kick, a step-up moonsault onto Lash Legend, but Lash Legend pops back up to her feet, and she gets Amari Miller in the fireman's carry slam for the one, two, three. Uh, post-match, well, post-match, Amari Miller, uh, unfortunately, had to be, uh, well, had to go and get checked over by uh, doctors and what have you, and we wish her well in her recovery. Uh, and post-match in ring, we had Lash Legend calling out Nikita Lyons, of all people, but this was a sloppy match, to say the least, Sige. She has no business being on t uh, national television. Um, to be honest, at this point, if there was a Largo loop, she'd kind of have no business on being on that. She is a danger to her opponents. And guess what? None of this is her fault at all. She should not be put in this position, even though she's got a striking, marketable look. That's all that matters to them, more so than the safety of her opponents. This sort of thing was inevitable. Absolutely inevitable. You can't possibly, with a brain in your goddamn head, watch Lash Legends matches think... Oh, it's safe to continue doing this. Not only is it a terrible look to have bad wrestling on your show, even on a show that is a developmental program that is that functions to promote developmental talent, you can't watch her in the ring and think, eh, it should be all right, this. It should be all right. Like, this is inevitable. She is literally that bad at her craft 
And again, she has not been given the resources with which to improve her craft, the opportunities to do it in a more safer way. I have no idea what they're thinking, and I, I have no idea what they're thinking at the best of times. No. But this in particular is egregious, absolutely egregious. Didn't we get like a warning of this? I swear I was reading a, a list or something the other day um, regarding a match between, I want to say, Lash Legend and Saray from like 205 Live. It was so bad that they had to butcher it in the edit to assemble some kind hmm. of, like it was a Frankenstein's monster of a something that was barely... That not, never even approached a gentleman's three, and they had to cobble it together to make it even vaguely possible. That should have acted yeah. as an omen for, well, she can't be on television yet. That's fine. It's not as if you're lacking characters you can introduce. She's just called out one that was introduced. Mm. It, baffling. Even by their stupid, inscrutable standards, the idea that they didn't see something like this coming was baffling. I place no blame whatsoever on Last no. Legend. What's she going to say on this not particularly lucrative contract with absolutely no job security given what happened throughout 2021? What's she meant to say? Oh, I'm not I'm not ready yet. Well, she can't say that. No. She's got a job. She's got bills to pay. She can't say, I can't do my job. It's up to the people who are guiding her, meant to be developing her, to not put her in the ring. It's the umpteenth thing to expose the developmental wires as well and the, the flaws within that wiring because, you know, like, I, I know people go both ways on whether or not when we're comparing the two, right? But in term AW that doesn't have a formal developmental beyond beyond dark, dark elevation, whatever happens in QT Marshall's gym, pretty much. Yeah. You know, all the various places. People, and the indies that they let guys work. The various pe- people point, yeah. train and where they work and things like that. It's stuff we don't see most of the time. Even when they're coming up or they're improving or they're doing whatever. When you see, like, the most, the craziest example is, like, even daring to compare someone like Lash Legend to Hook, but they've probably had, like, she's probably had more television matches than Hook, right? Mm. Just for argument's sake. What's happened with Hook, straight out of the gate, is they have got him working on his phone and manuals, and, like, he's decided whether or not he wants to do this for a living, and then it's obviously taken incredibly seriously that he's got to show respect to this and how good can he really be. And then they've asked him, well, what can you do? Because let's start with what you can do because it's going to give you more confidence and then you're going to be able to grow in and you're going to be able to learn to do more things and you're going to work with opponents where they can like teach you on when when to do things if you're going to add a little something to your game or something like that. That oh, I've never taken a bump in my life and never will, but that feels to me to scan as like fairly basic talent development and yeah. being able to bring people on who've got a rough skill set, right? So everyone that comes in at the performance centre, with possible exceptions, but for the most part has a rough skill set in something, whether that's American football or athletics or, you know, whatever Tiffany Stratton's daddy paid her to train in. <laughs> all of that. They've all got something going for them. But they're not asked. And we saw this with, like, the cavalcade of matches last year where people were asked to perform dives or do bumps off ladders when they've, you know, been on, they've worked on TV three times. They're not asked, what can you do? They're given, as Cedric once called it, or like via Triple H probably, the playbook. The playbook. So Triple not, H said it on the press conference ahead of arrival. It's not what can you do, it's do a suplex and a fireman's carry neckbreaker or something like that. And it's like, do a dive through the second and middle rope. And it's like, well, isn't that potentially going to injure myself or others? Yeah, but do it because that's what our matches look like. Mm, yeah. It, like, it, it's just like multifariously flawed and there's no signs of anything changing as well. And it, okay, it never. One. It never falls on they're the wrestlers. They're one and they're winning, so they're right. Yeah, it never falls on the wrestlers. Like, all of these criticisms when we slag off the matches, because I understand why people take it to be that we're just having to dig at the matches. It's, it's never on them. It's You can see that the broken system they're performing in. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Moving on, uh, we got a backstage interview with uh, Solo Sokoa being asked about what Gunter said, and uh, he said, oh, we can hit me with everything he's got, and I'm going to still keep coming forward. Uh, respect is a two-way street, and, and you're in for a fight. Uh, and then we got, I, I, I've got to be honest, this was a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. Brooks Johnson and Boris Jensen. I knew you were turning babyface on this. <laughs> so My first immediate thought, in fact, was Wilborn's going to like this. So they're backstage. They are looking at something on a phone, and they're saying, "Oh yeah, I'd love to ride it all night long." Basically, uh, in comes Electra Lopez and gets bloody. Off- what is it with women getting offended? We're just lads having a chat, eh? That. Effectively, what they were saying here. Just a couple of dudes being guys. Yeah, and she's going, man, man, man. Just guys being dudes. <laughs> what it's all about. Uh, just c- calm down, dear. <laughs> we're talking about a truck. Uh, and Lopez goes after Doesn't you. Doesn't have nuts on it. I'm not like, <laughs> Michael Cedric, Michael Hamlet, and Michael Winner. <laughs> um, so she says, oh, yeah, well, well, you, whichever one it is who can't. He's rubbish with women. Um, it's brogs, well, e- Even more worse with women. Uh, you wouldn't even know a real woman if you saw one. And uh, he says, well, joke's on you, love. I've never been with a real woman. One nil to me. And uh, Briggs is like, oh, you don't know what you're saying, you bloody idiot. And the other one's really happy with himself. Uh-uh, I liked it. <laughs> Wilborn, let me talk to you. Yeah. Do you want to know what they've done here? Do you want to know what the master stroke is, what they've done here, right? I know what you're going to say as well. After three months, Jesus. there or thereabouts, of them first being taken by the ladies at the festival. And going, look at her. You like her legs? <laughs> yeah. What they've done after three months of this is that they've crafted two actual punchlines in the same segment in following a series of skits in which there was no jokes. Yeah. <laughs> They've never done a joke in these ostensibly comedic skits. They kind of did some last week with the terrible chat-up lines, but they've actually done Wilborn 
as they've crafted two incredibly basic jokes. And it's only taken 12 weeks. It's only taken 12 weeks for them to actually craft jokes in the comedy segments. And it's such a departure from what they had been doing before, Mm -hmm. which was doing comedy segments with no jokes or punchlines, that you've been worked into thinking two jokes are funny. Yeah. Hey, Meg, do you get less ugly? Yes. It, It was the Dumb and Dumber subversion. I was like, well, Bond's going to love this. Just when I thought you couldn't get absolutely any more stupid, you totally redeem yourself. I was like, oh, God, they've got him. They've got him. What have they done to my boy? <laughs> I, I didn't hate his delivery, you know. No. I didn't hate his delivery for the jokes, are you? <laughs> but, like, bear in mind that we are, we've arrived at this point from, like, the, the you know, it really left an impression on me yesterday when the situation, your point you made about the Hurt Business of Wikipedia page. Yes. Like, the, the Brugs and Jensen Wikipedia page. We're just two dudes in a cowboy bar drinking beers and playing pool. We got a problem with that? To this point, I ain't even even seen a woman. <laughs> like, they're, they're just a kind of book cowboys. So it's like, are cowboys are total virgin losers? Yeah, I think they are. <laughs> yeah. Give us six months. I just, yeah, I thought, oh, I hated myself for enjoying it. But like you say. The delivery wasn't bad, half mm. bad at all. Uh, then we got uh, Solo Sokoa versus uh, Gunter, and uh, Gunter has, he's become a different person, hasn't he? He's obviously, we talked about yeah, he's, he's got a different name. He's got a different name, <laughs> but he's like, he's sl- he's obviously slimmed down, which is incredibly impressive, but it's not, it's not Walter anymore, and I noticed more so than ever him working a WWE style rather than a Walter-style match here. You know, he, he still battered Sokoa, um... It was just a hard-hitting match, if you want to boil it down to its basics. But it was a lot less what we've seen in NXT, NXT UK, or if you saw it, we're lucky enough to see him on the indies. It was very much like, you can do a bit of that, but you have to do our stuff as well. Um, Sokoa, you know, fought valiantly. Um, he got elbowed in the face to start the match off, basically. Got slammed down, um, and he fought back. But uh, he, uh, Gunter just nailed him with a big boot to the face. Um, and uh, he goes for a fireman's carry, Sokoa. And that gets broken up. And Gunter just nails him with a clothesline. He does manage to hit him with a Samoan drop. But uh, Gunter goes to the outside. Uh, there's a splash from the apron. Sokoa hits a super kick but misses on the superfly splash. Uh, Gunter gets him in the sleeper. Um, Sokoa tries to fight out of it. Gets a jawbreaker. Um, but Gunter just grabs him back into it again. And hits, I suppose, a, a symphony of power bombs. You could say, well, two uh, to get the pinfall victory here. You could say that. I definitely won't. Um, I don't want to ruffle Solo Sokoa's hair here, as if he was like, well, like your Chesterfield getting absolutely thumped by Chelsea, but getting their late goal and that being a winner, and that being and that being a real <laughs> quick. Like, I don't want to ruffle Solo Sokoa's hair in that regard because he's a, he's a wrestler and he could absolutely batter me if he wanted to. But I thought he made such a good accounting for himself here as the um, the new face against a, a veteran that was always going to beat him that it solidified my feeling, as does your assessment that he was that Walter Gunther was working at a WWE match, that Walter is here to earn his money to be a Pete Dunne, to be a Tomasa Champa, to be the last remnants of the Triple H guys. that They're going to win some too, but the point is for them to help bring along guys. So Walter, Gunther wasn't working a Walter match. It's not because of the name change. It's not because he's like the lamest dude in Imperium now. It's because he's there for a different purpose. Yes. You know, like if he's going to have a run eventually at Bron Breaker, he's not going to win the title. He's going to help develop Bron Breaker. And that's his purpose now. And that's why he has to win some matches sometimes, but that's ultimately he's, he's, he's 
he's paid to be a setup guy, and that's why it doesn't particularly matter that you're not getting the Walter matches anymore. Like the day that Walter hits a Gunter hits a chop and then looks at his hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, what have I become? <laughs> what have I become? The guy you always were. <laughs> right there. <laughs> so it's just yeah, I didn't feel any of the the Gunther sadness that I still think a lot of people are struggling with because I just understood who he was and thought like Solo Sokoa made a pretty decent show. I think I quite like him. Yeah, I think, I I think they too. might have something in him. The magic of the old Volta match is completely gone. Yeah. The magic of the old Volta match is when you do something to him, let alone beat him, when you do something to him and get a flurry of offense against him, it feels like an event. It feels like you've really fought incredibly hard and you've managed to get something in on this invincible, indomitable beast. He just like took a frog splash to the outside and it was like, hey, so the score's pretty good, isn't he? I didn't feel a like... A 2.0 is going to roll on. The, there's, a, mm. there's, yeah. a, there's legitimately like an enormity to the very best Walter matches, and you will never see it again as long as he is in that company because they don't want to push him as the guy he used to be. And I don't think he himself is the guy he used to be anyway, so all of this is trending towards gentlemen's threes. Walter doing gentlemen's threes, like, it's ridiculous. Mm. Don't cry for Walter, he's already dead. You know, yeah. as well, like, anyone that's watching this still hoping against hope that something, like, that's, he's not asked either. No, I think you you said yourself there is going to come a day when another promotion or an indie promotion, when he leaves WWE, will be able to say, the return of Walter. I hope he has some takeaway Carters before then and rediscovers just who the hell he is, mm. like, a bit of a podgy guy who's... <laughs> I, bet, I just think that'll be authentic. Like, they'll actually be able to say the return of Walter and it won't just be uh, some, like, guy busting out of prison saying, I got my name back. Yeah. It'll actually be, actually, I got my entire aesthetic and gimmick and working style back. Uh, Dolph Ziggler's getting interviewed backstage. Uh, he's annoyed at the, the loss to start the show, but he's still the number one contender. And Tommaso Ciampa comes in and says, no, 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 I beat you, so I should be getting the shot next. In comes Bron Breaker, uh, who says, I don't really care. I'll face anyone at Stand and Deliver. Uh, and Champa says, well, I should probably face you, because let's not forget, I have beaten you. And Breaker says, don't care. I'll face you, face you both. Uh, and Ziggler says, yeah, well, sounds good. I've got my title shot next week. And it's now a triple threat uh, at next week's uh, NXT 2.0 roadblock. Oh, I don't really know what to make of this. Um I don't, I don't hate the match because I like, uh, but I like Bron Breaker's confidence. Like, I like seeing a babyface booked with such conviction that he looks upon these two guys as just people that he's got to, like, mow down with his big spear. Like, that is a guy growing into his role as a champion, and I, like, I quite like that. And Bron Breaker performs that believably as well. He's, he just monsters these guys, so that's pretty cool. But, like, WWE are going to give us this. I'm assuming, anyway. Maybe not. Maybe they, maybe they are pulling, like, a Goldberg, like, surprise you know, for, for Dallas, but um, are they going to sell us this and then ask us to buy a singles match with one of them? You know, like, let's say Champa takes the... It feels more like it's going towards Ziggler taking the pin and the singles match with Champa mm -hmm. as, like, the, the, the decider. The, the Champa's mentioned the 1-1, one, one, you know, planting the seeds for some... So that maybe the Dallas main event is more earnestly NXT than... We're going to bring... We're going to stunt cast Dolph Ziggler as an NXT main event <laughs> for the night. I just... I don't know. The triple threat feels like I'm going to get enough of that. I don't have much hope for that singles match between them feeling like this this grand like destination that maybe they think it is. I, I when they said triple threat, I thought, oh, that's quite a nice thing for for WrestleMania weekend. And then they went next week, and I went, yeah. oh, okay. Did Ziggler take the fall and tag match? Just double check. Yes, I think I so. Think yes, did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. which made me. It's because he he already yes. was the number one contender, so in his mind it was like, well, tag to match uh, and count is it? Uh, uh, tag to match and count. I'm the number one contender. 
Okay. I'd, yeah, I'm not in any of this anymore. I thought the tag team match was a really rousing conclusion to whatever this was. Like an over-delivery, realistically, mm-hmm. given what um, Ziggler's become in WWE. Yeah, I've got a preview. I'll do a preview. <laughs> I not anything then either. Andy Hartwell and Persia Pro are backstage furious at being knocked out of the Dusty Cup. Uh, but thankfully, here comes Duke Bloody Hudson to console Persia Bloody Parotta whilst Indy Hartwell just feels a bit and looks a bit awkward and says, Why don't you take me back, Dixter? What did she say? Why don't you take me back, Dixter? Because she thinks she's having it off with her. Fa- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then we got the uh, resolution question mark between uh, Draco Anthony and Hartland. Um, he uh, tries tries his best, does Draco Anthony. He snaps uh, Hartland's arm across the top rope for early on and just gets splashed in the corner for that. Um, Harlan just picks him up, slams him face first into the mat to cut off any offense that he's got. Uh, belly to back slam. One, two, three. Joe Gacy, creepy bastard that he is, uh, smiles at Hartland after the match and Harland picks up the lifeless body of Draco Anthony or the knackered corpse of whatever's left and gives him a lovely cuddle. <sighs> Joe Gacy stuff has gone from being feckless and insulting to boring. Yeah. That's what's happened. Like there was a, I appreciate there was, a, it, obviously it appears that like a couple of angles. Are you triggered? A, a couple of angles in a row obviously got abandoned for various reasons. He's that just triggered. Left, left them without something to do. It's just he's saying all this, but yeah. he's just triggered. I wonder if they can, uh, like, use the words drab crap in a Joe Gacy promo <laughs> next week because, like, Horland should be more dangerous feeling than he is. Mm. I got now. We were talking about this yesterday, and I almost felt guilty for giving you back nothing when he said, like, what's going to happen when like, Arnold gets his hands on Draco Anthony? I, I don't care. He's going to crush him, but who gives a yeah. shit? Um, <laughs> I, like, I, th- I think this is so boring and so played out and exactly where this kind of one-dimensional stuff deserved to get to anyway. In the most quintessentially Bruce Pritchard development of all time, it's just quite funny that people were like, ah, oh, this guy looks like, could be the new Brock Lesnar. Bruce Pritchard went, cool, I'll make him into nails. It's yeah. <laughs> like the guy with this, like, incredibly boring... I wish he was as scary as nails. I know. He's not, he, hasn't Boss, got the aura nails. he hasn't got the aura nails has, but God damn it, he's got the working style. Like, the most tedious, methodical approach yeah. to the squash, where he's, like, he's hanging them up in the ropes and doing very slow and boring things to people, and he looks like a clown with a... a his attempts to project intensity so god awful and dull and drab and tedious and boring yep fair enough uh <laughs> mellow and trick are there great more of them on my screen is always good thing uh trick says that every match carmelo hayes uh, is in chatting to mackenzie mitchell this is uh is the main event um, Carmelo says, look, Dunn's one of the greatest, but then I walked in here. He's never been the A champion. He never will be. I'm making history. I'm leading the way. Uh, the question isn't going to be who's next for Melo. It's going to be who's left for Melo, sort of setting up the uh, post-match at the end of the show. And then we get to see Ivy Nile punching loads of ugh, boxing bags and uh, in comes... Uh, I've forgotten her name. The girl she tagged with, yeah. she let her down, and Ivy Nile says, "Oh, if you want to be, I'll pot- never remember that as long as I live." Um, and then we got uh, the uh, the final quarterfinal in the Dusty Cup, uh, a match that seemed relatively straightforward and just sort of there. Well, it was actually quite enjoyable. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade, who still can't ride a, a skateboard, um, versus Ulyssa Leon and Valentina Feroz. Um, 
some just bonkers dives from Leon and Ferroz, which which really got me out of my chair um, to give them a bit of offense. But in reality, we all knew who was going to win this. Gonzalez comes in, cleans house after a hot tag, uh, does that one arm power bomb of hers, and they've got a new finish where Gonzalez just slams Cora Jade onto their opponent. Basically, uh, Cora Jade pins uh, gets the pinfall victory. Uh, and they'll go through to face Dakota Kai and Wendy Chu, which is a nice touch with Rako Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. Uh, and the other semi-final is, of course, Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray versus Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter. What did you make of this match, Sid? Really not much. I did love the dive sequence. Yes. The dive sequence was genuinely like, this is really goddamn well done. But there was another sequence, and this is more consistent with what else happened in the match, where Cora Jade did a head scissors and the bump was like, Cora Jade overshot, and it looked like this sort of like, she hadn't, it was like more of a hip scissors than a head scissors. And then they just fell over, and I stood there and then went, oh, I'll do a bump then. <laughs> a full second later, just again, it's more not good wrestling by people who haven't had the experience yet with which to become good wrestlers. But in flashes, class. Highest compliment I can pay an NXT 2.0 match is this was NXT 2015 formula. Often there would be TV matches where the winner was never in doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on the preview yesterday, we kind of just said, well, all, like all we could talk about was Corridor and because we know nothing of the other team. And then within the body of a match, in that wonderful, tight, network-only one hour that 2015 NXT used to be, you would see somebody that's been hiding out the performance centre, learning while the cameras aren't, Rolling, imagine that that like does some <laughs> does something that leaves you with a takeaway, even though the winner that you expected to win won, and that was awesome because then what would happen is that's the start of their life as characters on the TV show, and now you want to see them a little bit more, and they might go on to lose a couple more matches, but the point is now you've seen that there's absolutely something in their back pocket, and one of these days they might they might be somebody, you know, you might Google them the next day when you hadn't heard of them the day before, like such an economical way to use like even just a little thing that a wrestler might be able to do that one cool spot, you know, and they've got more than that, but like we're all talking about the dive, we're all talking about the, like, the proportion of how cool it looked and just that like the, it kind of mirrors a little bit of the magic of the MSK push moonsault, doesn't it? Like yeah. the way you've seen somebody launch somebody like that. Um, so I just loved the arrangement of that because I did not see it coming and I welcome any kind of pleasant surprise on this show. Um, and I can't at all argue Cedric's point about the criticism of Cora Jade's work, but I really quite like that finish. I like them attempting to build on the go ape sequence <laughs> by actually applying it to wrestling. Like I don't want to see Raquel Gonzalez learn to skateboard or zipline, but I want to see them learn to able to wrestle together as a tag team because that's what they're there to do for a job right mm, and indeed. like i really genuinely quite like that one-arm powerbomb finish like a nice adaption of raka gonzalez finisher and as you pointed out as well when they put the brackets together and i was like gonzalez and kai nice like new partners and they're coming together they won it last year and now they've found strange bedfellow partners and they're kind of coming together at the same time how is that going to play out again really quite like this tournament because i know i'm the more easily pleased with the dad <laughs> Uh, so Saray is backstage showing off her spooky necklace. <laughs> uh, when in comes so close, like that, we're quite back with a spooky necklace. <laughs> well, in comes Tiffany Stratton, Sage, and she says, <coughs> "Amazing character." Excuse me, <laughs> what is going on over here? And the girls say, oh, just, just admiring uh, Saray's necklace. What a, bunch, <laughs> what a bunch of losers. There's about six of them. She goes, this necklace? <laughs> it's a little tacky, I mean, I'll be asking 
it's okay. You can have one of mine, sister. Um, and Saray very politely just declines the offer. To which Demi's trying to fire up and starts beating the crap out of her. She throws her against the, the what's it called? The door, the, yeah. the metal door that they've got. And she's Shudder. Said, she <laughs> screams in that voice that's no, Shudders. no longer like Shut that. Shudder. She's like, nonsense, not a man. <laughs> Beats her down and then she says, turtles. This is almost more insulting than NXT just basically using cameras to motorball to the women. <laughs> <laughs> they are, ooh, shiny object. Yeah. There's a shiny object over there, guys. Did you say a shiny object? <laughs> so there's somehow four of them absolutely hypnotized <laughs> by a jewel. Oh, my God. It's so pretty. It's, it's four women just completely and utterly reduced to the status of what men just think women are like. It's it's the what was it? They are fighting over shampoo. Yeah. But and I realized But way worse because it's rooted in yes. like institutional like legacy misogyny I at this point. That it's kind of related to the Stratton character. She's she's fought about Dad's credit card. Yeah. And now she's found out her necklace. But yeah. It's like on it like we could make a game of this, like what like, ostensibly rich item will Tiffany Stratton be pissed off about this week because we've had a credit card and a fancy jewel. Like, you just apply that to a character. Birds. And then, yeah. Get those birds. You just thought of the funniest word to say in the voice. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. That's what I always do. Like, the Persia Prata's looking at a I'm picture. I'm not here for critical analysis, mate. I'm here for the voices. You two are here for that bit. This is an unfair comparison. I'm doing it to make a goddamn point, I guess. But, like, MJF and CM Punk, like, the... Depth <laughs> <laughs> oh, done. There you go. That's a bit done. The depth of this rivalry yes. is taken on this like incredibly ballsy, like layered twist last week. They are fighting for reasons where you can't even draw the line between what makes a human being himself bad or good. Their experiences justify what they've become, or it's like it's genuinely like it, it being made to ask questions about the extent to which he can actually hate MJF, the most hated guy, right? My God, that jewel's so shiny. I'm goddamn distracted by it because there's nothing in my fucking airhead. <laughs> but are you, are you suggesting that it could have been saved if Saray comes out and cuts a long promo about the lore of the jewel and why the jewel means everything to her? And we've never really understood how why this jewel is so magical. And then Tiffany Stratton walks out and just goes, is this true? <laughs> is this, tr- this true? And we're left for a whole week to wonder if the lore of this jewel is true or Saray is maybe lying to us all about the seriousness and magic of yep, the jewel. That's a comparison. That'd make exactly the same. Yep. I get, I get why you guys didn't like this segment, but I, for some reason, this segment, around this time of the show, I just really, really, really enjoyed NXT. Uh, Tony D'Angelo next. He was at the dock. <laughs> Back at the docks. Back at the docks. He's gone nowhere. <laughs> right, in his quest to get rich over the last eight months, as if his illegal family business wasn't making him rich enough, he has gotten literally nowhere. I'm, I'm literally, Lynn, I'm going around the ring road. Right. <laughs> so Tony says, uh, hey, oh, 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 I'm walking. <laughs> no, he said, you, uh, you smell that? Huh? That's the uh, smell of opportunity in the air. Huh? WrestleMania weekend, the biggest fucking weekend of the year. <laughs> 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 he says, <laughs> he says, everybody's jockeying for position. Hey, but when you zig, don't eat these eggs. I got my eyes on a uh, big fish, a uh, white whale, if you will. Uh, and your man carries a big stick, and he swings it just as good. 
And they show footage of him twine Pete Dillon with a crowbar. Uh, he says, but uh, stand and deliver, it's going to be my showcase. And on April 2nd, Tony D becomes a made man. As far as my opponent goes, he'll be sleeping with the fishes. I've, I've said sleeping with the fishes on the Tony D'Angelo predictor for about goddamn five months. I know. <laughs> the one week we were like, well, just, we'll just do one game. And then he flipping comes out with this. And uh, full Tony D's back. It's great. Why didn't he just like who's what? the opponent? That's his preview stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's preview. What? I, I'm just asking this question. Like, why didn't he just answer Edge? Hey, you're rated or kick your ass. <laughs> like, he just wanted a WrestleMania match. Edge was like begging one for two weeks. Like Tony could just walk straight yeah. up to Raw and got it off the docks in a Raw. <laughs> you got a bigger vein in your forehead than you do in your pants. How you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we got Von Wagner. Uh, versus Andre Chase uh, with Robert Stone Skip. and both. <laughs> uh, I did like the Andre Chase running, like the American football. You know when they run through the sign. Mm. I did like that entrance for uh, for Andre Chase. Uh, Von Wagner starts fast, well for him, um, knocks him into the corner. Big toss out of the corner, of course. Um, you, Andre Chase does get some offense in. He does the uh, the chase you stomp, um, but then in amongst all this. Hayward, who's in uh, Chase's corner, as I said, and Robert Stone, they sort of get into it on the floor. Uh, Von Wagner breaks it up and accidentally nails Bodie. I think he was swinging for Chase, but he nails Bodie Hayward in the eye. Uh, and Chase, <laughs> baby face that he is, checks on his uh, on his protege. Uh, he says, oh, don't worry about me. Get back in the ring. And of course, the moment he does that, he gets caught with the fireman's carrying neck break to give Von Wagner the victory. My stock is sold. In Andre, so Andre Chase, man, my stock is completely sold. Have they just bought a load of bells and whistles without clappers and peas? Because that's what makes them make all the fucking noise. Like, they've given him all this school stuff, and as you say, like, the confusing alignment of who he is and what exactly is it represents. He works in a frigging, like, college varsity, like, Cornell University outfit, slacks and jumper. Oh, Marco, Marco. Oh, <laughs> At least you know who he was. He was a all of his people are his like acapella team at this point. It's just I don't care about any of this. And like we've already said about how like they've clocked on to us having fun with Von Wagner and said you can't have that fun anymore. We're gonna make him like, it's not just us. It's generic, yeah, yeah, generic giant. I was like, cut guy. A promo, cut a promo after the match. Nope. Even like because he's on Wagner, even when he stands and does his victory pose, there's still something a bit funny about it. There's still something a bit off and a bit awkward. So you can enjoy it, but they're trying the hardest to make you enjoy it as little as possible. And Andre, like, it's it's, ne- it's never gonna like. If we even were, let's stop trying to make Andre Chase happen because it's not going to. So yeah. No, I agree. I, I've, I've sort of anticipated that. But I do Kyle like the way Bloom he, is off the ruse. He, uh, <laughs> he fires up in the classroom, but when he gets into a wrestling ring, he's like, yeah, just do a bit of work. <laughs> and then I'll check on my student, who I despise, I think, in the skits. He always kicks Bodie out of the class. Swears, slaps him about the whole yeah. deal. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you're your eye all right. But yeah, Von Wagner wins. There you go. Like the hard ass with the heart of gold, isn't he? Jay Chase. Whatever it was, it? Andre Chase. Andre Chase. But that's always the person that passes the test. I was like, that was the real test and you passed. It's not the actual teacher. That's not the badass <laughs> with the heart of gold, <laughs> is it? Like the um, we get a, a recap of uh, social media reactions to Nikita Lyons last week. Understandably, the first time they've ever got a response for about six months. Uh, from doesn't doesn't bode well for how we're going to try and get the next ones, does it? No, and then they cut to an incredibly awkward promo where she basically says, oh, we'll, I'll pop on Last Legend and we'll sort our business out next week or whatever. Wasn't great, this. Nah. 
Well, what was great was the main event. It was uh, Pete Dunne versus Carmelo Hayes for the North American Championship. Um, <laughs> it's good. This is a video podcast. <laughs> this is just a main event. It's all right. <laughs> um, they back and forth strikes, lariats, all that sort of thing early on. Uh, there's an X-plex given to iffy-looking X-plex given to Carmelo Hayes uh, to take us to a break. Um, Dunn gets dropped when we come back by a right hand, but uh, as Carmelo does that springboard, he just nails him coming out of the air, uh, puts him in an ankle lock, um, but Hayes manages to counter a suplex into a backstabber for a two count, and then out of nowhere, Dunn hits him with the bitter end, but in the time it takes him to roll over to try and get the cover, Hayes manages to roll away uh, using his ring nouse. Dunn goes for a triangle choke, and uh, Carmelo Hayes takes him into the ropes, and before the referee can even call for a rope break, uh, he gets slingshot and throat first uh, into it. Um, Dunn goes for the digit manipulation. Uh, Hayes counters it, tilt a whirl into a cross face, which Pete Dunn has to use his finger snapping to, to get out of. Again, he goes to the bitter end, but Hayes counters into a sort of TKO. Uh, they go up onto the turnbuckles, or, or Carmelo Hayes is followed by Pete Dubon onto the turnbuckles. Trick Williams tries to get involved and gets his fingers broken as a result of that. Dunn gets shoved off the top and hit with that nice uh, guillotine leg drop that's Carmelo Hayes' finisher. One, two, three. Carmelo Hayes retains the title and then I mean, not completely inexplicably. I know why they're doing this, but in character, inexplicably calls for a ladder match to sort of defend the title, the North American Championship, where it all began in a ladder match at Stand and Deliver in Dallas. Why? Why would he do this? I mean, in character, there's no reason, but I suppose I suppose the, the, the most I can stretch it to is he's beaten a lot of people and he thinks this is their fairest opportunity to try and take him on again, and he can beat all of them anyway, and he wants to prove he is the best A champion there is, and even better than when this title was started, and won by Adam Cole, of course, in that infamous ladder match uh, initially. Uh, That's that's all I've got. Just painfully NXT. Painfully NXT, Buchan. Um, And at times, this was a painfully NXT match, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, I'm a mellow guy. I think Pete Dunne is pretty boring, but pretty great at the same time. I just thought this all arrived at a gentleman's three, if I'm being honest. I rate Carmelo Hayes highly, and as such, I will hold them to a standard that I refuse to hold any of the show in for virtually any of it. They did a spot where Pete Dunne stamped on Carmelo Hayes' trailing arms. And in a way, Pete Dunne's limb work is almost too good because it looks like death, and then people just continue to wrestle. It's always been a problem of mine. Shouldn't be shake it off, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it just looks too good. Like he should be more, he should be more disciplined with it. Um, I reckon Pete Dunne, New Japan Pro Wrestling, could legitimately be one of the best in-ring wrestlers in the whole world. On TV, it just he does a lot of cool stuff. He's like a technical maestro, spot monkey in a way, in terms of how little really sort of matters like, between moves and within the body of the match. So he does this stomp. It looks incredible. Carmelo Hayes shakes off almost immediately and and then does a flying nothing. Two really egregious moments Mm. in one sequence that was designed to be a blur of excitement, and I didn't really feel it because I was thinking, that doesn't make sense if I think about it. And the fact that I was allowed to think mustn't have meant that they've really got me in this, that zone of you are loving what you're watching. It's the simplest way I can put it. I never really got in that zone, so I was able to pick it apart a bit. Yeah, the whole point of liking guys in NXT 2.0 is liking them in the same way we would on 
AEW Dynamite, you're supposed to feel something from Carmelo Hayes. Theoretically, makes you feel something. Um, but this wasn't a banner night for him. And there's a atmosphere around Pete Dunne matches. Pete Dunne exists in a space that shouldn't really exist in wrestling at all anymore. When there was predominantly house shows, or it was a house show-driven business with the occasional pay-per-views and the weekly TV jobber matches, it was okay for a wrestler to fight once for the world title and then maybe fight once for the Intercontinental title and just exist. You know, they're going to sell tickets to that town on that night and blah, blah, blah. But then weekly television wrestling eliminated that. And we talked before about the struggle of Pete Dunne as a weekly episodic wrestler. Mm, yeah. But this is not just the fault of 2.0. This is the fault of Triple H's era as well. Pete Dunne's lifespan within NXT, not like discounting when he had the UK championship for all that time, is a guy that fights and loses for the North American title. Then a guy that somehow fights and loses for the world title. Then a guy that goes back to fighting and losing for the North American title. Like, all the time. Like, I can think of uh, Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream, uh, Finn Balor, off the top of my head. of like three examples of that, and I know there'll be more if you trace it back. And now we've got another one here with Carmelo Hayes. Pete Dunne might well be in the ladder match, even though he's just lost. He will so he might, he, might get, he might get another bite of this. Um, so it's not the fault of his work, but it's just the fault of the atmosphere that that booking has created. I don't care if he wins or loses because I just feel like he's trapped in this vortex mm. anyway. So you're looking instead for the guy that you're into, Carmelo Hayes, to sort of pull you in emotionally, and this match didn't do that. So I wouldn't like, I, w- I wouldn't even be as kind as to say Gentleman's Three. Like I felt substantially less of this, and it wasn't that well worked. So again, like you look at Hayes and you think, right, Hayes and Break are the only things that have truly like that you can latch onto from the show. This was a breaker night, not a Hayes one. Mm, indeed. Um, although I will say, as much as it's completely inexplicable, as we said, that we're getting a ladder match, I assume a multi-man ladder match. I assume the way he worded it, that it's going to be like a six-man rather than just him versus someone else in a ladder match. This is generous, right? This is very generous. If he wins, they have to frame this as a babyface turn because he's the one that's thrown out the challenge. He's the one that's backed up everything he said he was going to do and he just beat five guys or however many they put in the match. Like it, it's got a bit of scan as a babyface turn, and they've mm. got to allow that as well. well he's not going to win because Cameron Grimes is going to hit a cave in off the top of a ladder. So, okay, You're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, we yeah, I'll give you a chance if you the want. The entire it. podcast without a mention of. Cameron Grimes to the lead. Yeah. Oh, For you, if you want it, yeah. Why not? <laughs> that, that never going to happen. <laughs> well, well you ever have that thing where you just like you just give the kids a fruit shoot? Cause like it's just. I know they've already had enough e-numbers today, but sometimes it's just it. Just just have a fruit shoot, fine. Yes, yes, you can have a camel. There's only orange ones in the cupboard. Bought my daughter three things from the shop last night because she asked. Yeah. Uh The power of just saying yes sometimes, because as a parent, you you have to say no so often at the things they're asking for. Yes, Wilborn, you can have Cameron Grimes doing a cave and off the ladder. Thanks. Just just have it. You work really hard. Mm. You can have it. And next week's show looks stacked so we'll look forward to that and uh, preview that of course next week let us know your thoughts on NXT 2.0 oh! on uh, Twitter at WhatCultureWWE watch they can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all <laughs> Friday Night Sidgwick WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts the Daddy Boys will be back this afternoon to look ahead to AEW Dynamite uh, I've got the afternoon off, so the, the inmates are running the asylum. Good luck with that. Um, I thought you were just going to say, I've got the afternoon off, so suck it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for now, this has been the NXT review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.